The ARA acknowledges the traditional owners of the land where we have recorded this podcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and we pay our respects to the Elders past, present and recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders as Australia's first traders, who utilise a sophisticated network of trading paths that have facilitated the exchange of goods, knowledge and culture for millennia. Hi, I'm Paul Zara, CEO of the Australian Retailers Association, and welcome to the Retail Therapy Podcast, proudly brought to you by AWS. Having navigated the worst of the pandemic, businesses are now moving on to tackle the next big global disruptor in climate change. In this season, we're talking to business leaders, academics and climate experts about their personal journeys and fighting for a more sustainable future. We'll also learn more about businesses and how they're meeting their sustainability targets. Joining me today is Ian Johnson, the founder and creative director of Quinnon a research strategy and design consultancy that works with businesses to reimagine the physical retail experience. We've heard a lot about why when it comes to the importance of sustainability, but the focus is shifted to the execution of the goals and targets. So what role does the physical store play in the sustainability journey? Ian has looked at this issue and more, and I'm looking forward to picking his brain today on all things sustainability in retail. Ian, welcome. I would say good morning to you, Paul, but I guess it's good evening to you. It is good evening now. We, you know, Ian is um, uh, uh, calling in from the UK. Obviously, I'm based in Sydney. And um, Ian, we really appreciate your time today. Your agency, Quinnon, has authored a number of articles when it comes to sustainability in retail. And I was interested to read how you think there's a missed opportunity when it comes to physical retail stores and the role that they can play in the sustainability journey. A lot of the focus is on supply chains at the moment and how goods can be moved around in a sustainable way. But what about the role of physical stores? Tell me more. Thank, thanks, Paul. I mean, it's, it's really important the role has a, that the store has a huge role to play in this journey that we're on. But perhaps I take a step back and start to talk about how we frame sustainability. Because um, for us, the first thing I learned about sustainability, it's a pathway. It's not a fixed destination. We go on this journey. And, and really what we, we need to kind of focus on is being more sustainable every day. You know, I need to be more sustainable tomorrow than I was yesterday. And if we keep that mindset in, in the picture, then we're going we're gonna to actually go somewhere. And sustainability uh, for retail kind of moves beyond the product and the packaging. It kind of sits under the building a, a little bit and the construction. And it really focuses, you know, on, on the physical experience and the spaces, whether those are kiosks and pop and you know a variety of new aspects of retail and the services and systems and operations that are involved. Now, when we think about it, we think in three areas. We think environmentally, socially, and economically. And so when you think about environmental impact, that's like you said, that's kind of tied into the supply chains. You've got materials, energy consumption, operational systems. Now we would think that's table stakes at yes. the moment and everyone is is on, on that pathway, but there's so many opportunities opportunities there. We're not making as much progress within the retail world as we really need to be. We'll come back to that perhaps. But just a first note, there's no real metric out there, whether you're looking at Bream or LEED. Those are a little bit more focused on construction and the buildings, a little bit of operation, but there's no real metric there for retail specifically to, to leverage. We're trying to find, there are a few that I'll, that I'll talk about. We also talk about you know, the economics behind it. When you think about sustainability, Generally, that's about reducing 
our consumption of things, efficiency. That's all across your whole business. And fundamentally, that will give you some cost savings. You know, one of my favorite designers, Dieter Rams, kind of coined this phrase, less is more, less is better. And so we think about sustainability as just good design fundamentally, and that will have an economic impact to your business, whether you have one store or a thousand stores. There's a huge amount of, of, of importance in, in that role and the impact that the store can make. But I think for us, you know, that the kind of real opportunity is in the social impact. This is where we see the most opportunity to happen. And so when we think about that, that talks about how the store and the, the, the retail kind of operation impacts employees, it impacts workers in the supply chain, it employs, you know, it impacts the customers, it impacts the communities. And so what we talk a lot about is how, you know, companies that recognize the significance of social change within this, within that sort of sustainable thing, those are the ones that are going to have the most impact. They're going to build loyalty and trust with their consumers. And if you think about it, Paul, one of the, one of the interesting stats I came across was just sort of 9% of people globally trust the world's governments to to the sustainable agenda. So the other side is 82% of people are looking for an alternative leader. A lot of people are looking to brands and retailers for that sustainable leadership. And so we believe that the, the store itself can have a huge impact on changing people's behaviors, individual behaviors. And so for us, there's there's you know much more than just marketing campaigns. It's about using the store demonstrating your actions, involving people in this, that, that participation of sustainability. And that will really raise awareness, um, educate consumers and inspire them to take action. And so the role of the store has many aspects to it, but we really like this idea of having a social impact. So what are the types of innovative approaches we're seeing when it comes to sustainable retail stores that are good examples for others to follow? Because those insights are, are quite telling. I think there's much more to all of this, it's not just about energy efficient lights or recycled in-store materials. Give us a good example that you, that you could share. Okay, well, Paul, I mean, it's, think it's, it's really interesting, right? And it doesn't take much. You, you only need to step sideways ever so slightly to go beyond materials and supply chains. And there's lots of brands and leaders doing this all over the world. One of the, one of the things we, we think about is, you know, your choice of location. If your choice of location can be in a place where um, you're, you're very accessible by customers and staff, you're already reducing the footprint that they, they have in place. So Starbucks is doing a really good job of that. They've got a roastery in, in Shanghai, I believe, which has specifically chosen its location to reduce the kind of footprint, the carbon footprint that people traveling, both staff and, and consumers. And, and obviously, you probably know about the, the, the sort of 20-minute neighborhoods. I think Melbourne is, mm-hmm. is, is kind of active in that way. It's about bringing people closer, right? So where you put your place, where you put your store is of real importance. Foot Locker is doing a great job here in Brixton. They opened up a community store where they're only hiring people in the local community. Wow. And so it has a sustainable impact, but it also has a kind of social impact as well as you bring people closer in. And so we also talk about brands that are kind of incentivizing or prioritizing sustainable travel. So whether that's the electric car or the scooter, a lot of brands here in the UK are putting charging stations in their parking lots to encourage people to use a different mode of transport to get there. Mm. And so these are tied to this sort of operational innovation. There's little here putting huge amount of, they're spending, I think, 
a huge amount of money putting EV chargers all across their, their, their whole estate. Halfords is kind of looking at how they use and promote bicycles, electric bicycles for people to travel. And so for us, that's a really, really uh, interesting part of you know where you put your store and how you access it and how you let your customers and staff come to your store. Yeah. Another side, Paul, and, and is this this notion of you know we always uh, as retailers we want the newest and the the best spots you know on our high streets and sometimes you know a new building has a huge impact and so what about actually using a reclaimed space taking something which is part of the community and revitalizing it and turning it into something new and so there's a number of of opportunities there my favorite one is the Rialto Theater in California, where urban outfitters, you know, reclaimed that whole space and revitalized it. There wasn't a lot left in the building, but the sort of facade was was an iconic moment within that community. And so reusing something rather than building from new is a nice, nice angle to take on, on board. Mm. And then I guess, you know, not just reusing, but you have this other side of, you know, Go to your customers. You don't necessarily need a store sometimes. A lot of these new retailers are putting together mobile buses that go to their customers. And my favorite one of those is, is Patagonia. They have this sort of worn wear truck. I don't know if you've heard of it, but they go they go around the country repairing people's clothes that they've actually purchased, whether they're Patagonia clothes yes. or not. You know, there's a, there's a company here called Ringtones, which they've never had a store. They actually just take a bus and go to their customers and service their customers in in a a different way. Now, that doesn't seem sort of sustainable, but imagine you go to one place into a town and customers come to you rather than bringing them all to the one, one place or making them travel distances to get to you. And so... I know we didn't really want to, I know supply chain is, is also a part of the issue, but there is real innovation and there will be in the future about bringing, you know, and producing products at your store right there in the location, in the neighborhood of your store. And uh, Marks and Spencer's here is using this uh, company called Infarm. I don't know if you've heard of it, but they're really focused on creating a sort of urban farms right in the communities that they supply. And so you can walk into Marks and Spencers and they actually have this, the most highly technology technological kind of fridge it's actually a grow box that they have in their stores right and they're producing the food right there they can monitor it from a from a central location and they're constantly improving how they grow the food that you're eating right there in the place that you're purchasing it and so that's just the start of that we've talked about 3d printing and manufacturing in the stores and so there's a huge amount of opportunity there and i guess just one little quick note you know we flip gears here quickly and I'll come back to leasing. A big innovation that people can do is only rent places who are supported by landlords that really focus on sustainability. And so there's a new retailer in Italy. I think it's just outside of Turin. It's called Green Pea. And they're just about, you know, their their kind of tagline is from duty to beauty, or maybe it's from beauty to duty, right? And it's this whole kind of ethos. And so, you know, if these retailers, they can choose the landlords that they want to partner with. And so just these small little steps forward, they don't need to be these big steps, right? A small step forward to say, I'm only going to deal with landlords who are sustainably focused. These will all have an impact and everything counts. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, we 
often hear Ian, a lot about the big picture sustainability strategies and visions on the road to net zero. But I guess what you're saying is it can sometimes be just the smaller, simpler and quicker solutions that can make a difference. Oh, there, there's so many. And as I started off with, you know, we, we haven't quite um, found our feet in, in this area. There's there's little steps that we, we can make. And, you know, the, the big one that's kind of happening or has happened is, is moving towards LED lighting. Mm. Um, it's such a big uh, change. But for me, that's just really not enough in terms of those energy efficiencies. Some of the simple things that we found, we work with a brand Comcast Xfinity in, in the States, and we did this study about their scheduling of lighting. And we found that if you actually turn your lights off between 8 p.m. when the stores close and 9 a.m., mm. funnily, you know, most retailers keep their lights on when the shop is closed, right? Yeah. That's got to change. Yeah. Now, over in a state of, of 350 stores, they found if they turned their lights off between 8 p.m. and uh, 9 a.m., they would save $5 million over five years. And so that's a pretty substantial saving. We do a lot of work with tech people. We found also that if you turn your screens off in your store or you turn your tech off in your store for that same period, again, another sort of $3 million worth of saving. These aren't big steps. That takes a the, the sort of initiative to schedule yes. that in. You don't need your lights on when there's no one in the store. No, well, they're, they're not big steps, but they're definitely big savings. So I, I, I can see why organisations would want to embrace that uh, real quick um, for, for both reasons, the impact it has on the environment, but equally the savings directly to their bottom line. Now, Ian, you've also been at the forefront of a lot of the thought leadership, uh, and um, I've read a lot of the work that you've done. And you, you mentioned how retail stores in one of your latest articles are a great platform for a business to raise awareness and educate consumers about sustainable practices. Is that something that needs to be embraced? Um, absolutely. Paul, I mean that the the purpose of the of the store is changing in front of our eyes. The the pandemic that we've 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 gone through really changed how we see the stores and the use of the stores. The expectations of the customers has kind of driven that change. And I see see there's a huge opportunity to build trust, use the store to build trust and loyalty. And so when you when you unpack that a, a, a little bit, there's what we see now, like. It's interesting because for, for me, the physical store embraces and involves people in, in, a, in a way that, that no other channel can do. And so it's interesting. I read some recent research that talked about credibility and a brand's credibility being one of the key factors in whether people believed in their sustainable credentials. And so the study also went on to explore how experiences, physical experiences are the best way to kind of have an authentic experience, right? Or, or make the brand feel authentic. And that's tied into your senses. And, and we, we um, really tried to push that, that forward and use that physical experience. We, we constantly using this old Chinese proverb, tell me and I forget, um, show me and I'll remember, mm. you know, involve me and I learn. And that's the key because the physical environment can involve people. And when you ask them to participate in your own sustainable agenda, that's when the real magic can yes. happen, right? Yes. And people kind of change their own behaviors. And so whether you're 
you know, a lot of people today are just having, you know, messages in store. Adidas does it. Nike does it. They do a great job. Tom's does it, right? Mm. They have great displays that talk about the materials, where their products come from. But that's just the first kind of step. And when you start to kind of facilitate uh, activities or events in store, that's when you can start to really leverage what, what your store can do for your customers. Um, one of my favorite examples is H&M. They have this loop. I don't know if you've heard of it. They have this loop. They call this loop machine where basically it's the size of a container. And what it does is you bring your old clothes in, it disassembles them and reassembles them into a new garment for you right there in front of you in the store. Right. And it's essential. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's the central location. And what that does is it just starts to show people how important sustainability is to the company starts to talk about the culture of the company and put it central to your store experience and so as people start to participate and see this happening it really elevates the whole experience it shows people it involves them and they learn and in that process and so there's lots of little examples of that you know of 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 involving people in the in that sustainable agenda. A lot of people are doing repairs in store. There's another great example. Just by having that in there, it starts to educate people, you know, don't just buy new, repair your old clothes, keep them for longer. These small little steps can really change everything we do. And Ian, I, I think that's, that, that's um, amazing insights. I, I think it's the area that I think most retailers or many retailers could learn a lot from. I think the whole idea around repair, around rent, around recycling, I always believe that um, if, if, if retailers could actually all take responsibility for one aspect of the category that they're selling in, in dealing with the um, the either uh, recycle, upcycle or repairing, that would make a massive difference to the, the amount of um, resources that go to, to, to landfill. And that in itself, and I'm, I know we're seeing that in Selfridges, right, because Selfridges now are offering as a premium department store the option to rent product, to repair your product, uh, and there's a series of options now which um, um, has a huge, um, a huge impact on, uh, on sustainability. Yeah. Amazing. And, you know, you mentioned there this this kind of notion of end of life. We, we need to be focused on this sort of circular economy. It's yes. probably a word we, we use a lot. And one of the things we, we noticed is that this end of life plan, whether it's recycle or rental or upscale, yes. um, or even just, you know, it's not necessarily in place. And what we found, we work with big corporations and sometimes the layers and, and the people involved at the beginning of the project aren't there at mm. the end. You need to embed an end of life plan from the beginning and you need to document it and almost attach it to your store embedded in there. We tag fixtures with a, with a QR code so that anyone coming into that store knows exactly what the plan is for that fixture, right? Is it to be recycled? Mm. Is it to be reused? What we've noticed is that at the start of the project, put all these things in place, but if that construction crew don't know an end of life plan, they're going to come in and they're going to chuck everything away. It's almost almost seeing waste as a resource rather than seeing more landfill, you see, you see the opportunity for a second and a third life potentially for for many things. 
Absolutely. It it has to be that way. We have to think kind of end of life. What's going to happen when the first purpose is done and we we move on to the second phase, right? Do those fixtures go to community charity store? Do they, you know, there's, do they go to your call centers, right? And become training fixtures Mm. where people learn off of them. This end of life plan for me is one of the, the big missed opportunities, because if we don't have that in place, when it gets to the end of life, more often than not, it just gets chucked in the bin. Yes. And so if you've used a whole bunch of recycled materials or recyclable materials, yes. you know, it doesn't matter unless you have that end of life plan. AWS is committed to building a sustainable business for our customers and the planet. To drive collective cross-sector action on the climate crisis, we co-founded the Climate Pledge with Global Optimism on the conviction that businesses are responsible, accountable and able to act on the climate crisis. To find out how AWS can support you to modernise your business to reach your organisation's sustainability goals, head to the link in the show notes. I'm interested in your view. Consumers are becoming more values-driven and are more likely to be drawn to brands that represent the social issues that are important to them, including things like climate change and sustainability. What advice would you give retailers who want to strengthen the connections they have with their customers around sustainability? Well, we come back to the store, right, right, Paul? I mean, I think the store is a perfect, the physical store anyway, is a perfect place to build that trust and, and um, credibility, right? Um, so we always talk about corporate philotomy. Excuse my pronunciation of that. It's too early in the morning. Here, Paul, <laughs> but it's this kind of concept about living with integrity. And we talk about it in the sense that, you know, those people, it goes beyond the individual. It's about kind of the impact it has to the family, to the community, to the organization. And what we've realized is that recent research actually um, says that those companies that have this kind of inbred uh, philanthropy, Excuse me, philo to me, philo to me. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, you know they're consistently outperforming those companies. Don't do do not have those virtues embedded right. in them. And so, when I think about the physical store, and you know it needs to be authentic. Customers um, are very aware of this greenwashing. And so, whether it's a sort of performance-driven agenda or a marketing stunt, the store can help dispel that sort of concern by the consumers, right? Because if you're not just talking about it, you're showing what you did and you're involving customers to participate in that in that program of sustainability, mm-hmm. yes. whether it's recycling clothes, they start to understand that this is who you are. This is part of your culture. They don't question about your statements. And, and this is how the store can really elevate our the whole sustainable agenda, right? And as soon as customers participate in that, well, you know, they're dealing with their own sort of ability and moral attitudes and, and lifting themselves up alongside you. And yes. that builds trust and loyalty. Mm. And so that's when you get customers for, for, for a lifetime. Absolutely. Many, many larger retailers have sustainability strategies already in place, but I think for smaller businesses, it can be a bit more difficult if they don't have the sort of cash reserves or resources that a lot of the larger businesses have. What advice, now I know you do work with small, medium and large businesses, what advice do you have for smaller retailers who are only just getting started on this sustainability journey? Well, it's funny you, you, you say that, Paul. You know, I believe big brands and retailers, right? They've got multiple layers and processes to go through. 
sometimes groups of people, it takes a long time to push your sustainable agenda mm. through all of that. The thing I like about small sort of agile brands is, is usually the owners are right there making the decisions so they can have an impact quickly. And so sometimes I think it's easier for a small brand. They just need a little push. And so we always are always suggesting people to start the process with an audit. That could be across your whole business, or it could be just around your products and your packaging. And so run an audit of some type. Understand where you are, where you are today. That's really, really important. Then what you need to do is you need to create a plan. How am, where am I going to go? What do I want to achieve? And start mm-hmm. writing this stuff down, yeah. right? Once you have that plan, you need to monitor it. Track that plan and see where you go. Give yourself priorities and goals. Can I meet them? Another side of that is share your progress with your customers. This is really, really important. Be open and transparent along that way. And if you can kind of put those things in order, mm. that gives you a good starting point to get going. So One of the involved. interesting... Sorry, Paul, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, I was going to say uh, some, some great advice because I think often small business too think that they're at a disadvantage, but in fact they're in many ways advantaged because they don't have the legacy systems and people and processes and issues. They can actually, uh, if they've got a clean sheet of paper, they can almost um, uh, adopt many strategies pretty quickly. Yeah. If I want to go paperless as a small retailer, I go paperless Good example. Tomorrow. If I don't want to have uh, – if I want to stop uh, uh, giving out bags – I can do that tomorrow. Mm. I don't need to check with my shareholders if this is the right yeah. thing. I can do it because it's actually what I want to do. And so for me, it's about being brave, taking these steps. There's small little steps that can push you on that pathway. And as I said at the beginning, you don't have to solve everything today. Mm. It's about incremental change. It's about how fast you want to go. Interesting enough, we, we talk about this sort of openness and honest transparency. Sometimes brands are too afraid to put a plan in place or put actions in place because they're, you know, they're not convinced there's sometimes the goals they set themselves are are pretty difficult to achieve. And if yeah. they miss those goals, that doesn't look good on them. My position is actually it's okay if you set out your goals. And you have to reevaluate those goals along that journey. Customers will understand as long as you're open and transparent with them. There's a brand here in the States called Ace and Tate Glasses. They set these really, you know, really, really provocative and, and goals to be, I think, carbon neutral by 2030. Now, when they took a took a look at their business plan, you know, expansion actually, you know, they started to expand quite quite aggressively. And that actually didn't align to their sustainable goals. And so what they did is when they realized this, they went back to their community and you know their their website is filled with this kind of kind of honesty. Mm. We're not going to make our goals. We've realigned our goals and this is why. I think people buy into that honesty and it's really important especially as a as a small retailer you, you have the ability to connect on a human level with your consumers. And so just be human about it. Good, some great advice. You, you would also see, Ian, I guess, the different approaches that retailers are taking on sustainability. What do you think will be the biggest threat or challenge for the industry in this transition to net zero emissions? What's going to bring the industry unstuck, do you think? Well, it's, it's, it's interesting, Paul. You know, the, the sustainable mindset, I think, has been accelerated through the pandemic. And, and I think it's kind of here to stay 
in, in many ways. My kids are so engaged in, in this endeavor. Retailers realize how important it is to, to consumers. And it's actually a point of, point of connection beyond price and quality. I think it's the second most impactful thing on a, on a consumer's decisions to purchase, those sustainable credentials of a brand. I can only see some more global events kind of impacting where we're, where we're going, whether there's a, a, a reduction in our energy um, that's going to change our, our behavior. And so I think the sustainable agenda is here to stay. I don't think we're going to move away from that. It's too important, right? Yeah. Too many people believe in that. And so I, I don't have a, a crystal ball, so I don't know how the world is going to transform in the next uh, few years. So I think it's kind of more world events that are going to change anything yes. rather than people move away from that sustainable agenda. It doesn't need to be the top thing on our news uh, casts you know, anymore. It's here, it's here to stay. People really want to, to do their part and, and believe in it. It's a very interesting point that you, you make. And I think what the current conflict in Ukraine has done for me is that it actually made me rethink supply chains because it was such a move, certainly in the 80s and 90s particularly, to move your you know, to offshore manufacturing and offshore most of your supply chain to get the lowest cost. But in fact, it's the retailers that actually have uh, supply chains closer to home that are really winning right now because those supply chains haven't been disrupted. So it talks to a much more sustainable future around actually bringing that supply chain a little bit closer to home. Absolutely. Well, whether it's, you know, I mentioned, you know, growing in your store or actually sourcing locally, this is a really, mm. really, really important part of part of it. There's every aspect of, of your business that needs to be considered, right? Mm. And so what, when I think about supply chains and, you know, making things locally, it, it's, it can have a really big impact. Now, again, what we find is, is that a lot of retailers, um, because they're sourcing globally, they have the same stuff. So actually sourcing locally from your local community, there's a, there's a, um, and I forget the name of the, of the, of the store here. There's a new store in, in London, out in the, the east part of London, which the, the owner is only sourcing products from people she knows. They're not right. just sustainable, yes, yes. but it's from her community, yeah, right? Yeah. And so it's people that uh, align to her own ideals, whether mm. that's sustainability or inclusion and diversity or you know a variety of different aspects. But she only sources uh, products that sit in her store that are from people she knows. And I thought that was a really kind of human approach to things. I believe in the brands and the people that are mm. producing the products, and and I want to highlight them, and I want to I want to share that with with my community and bring people access. Another side, I guess, Paul, and I don't see this in Australia, but certainly the pandemic has given rise to a lot more local makers. And that's, you know, people taking a different approach to life and no longer taking their, their job in the city. And they come up with an idea and they, and they, and they go for it. There's lots of opportunities um, to source locally. And that's going to drive customers to your store because those are unique products, right? You can only get in these local areas. Yeah, definitely. Now, you've also authored an article about diversity and inclusion in retail. It's a, it's a topic very near and dear to my heart. And you acknowledge that many brands are making great efforts in this space, but are struggling to translate their policies onto the shop floor. It's one thing to talk the talk, I guess. How, how can retailers translate their positions on diversity and inclusion into the physical shopping experience? Wow. This is something that's really close to my heart, Paul, like this, this notion of um, diversity and inclusion and how retail can impact and, and change social behavior around this. But it's a really kind of dynamic and interesting place because if you think about it, brands 
in essence, have their own target market. They have their target customer. And so they're kind of exclusive by nature. One of the interesting things that we, we talk about is, you know, you might have your, your target market and you can customize your messaging towards that, but you don't know who's going to come into your store. There's many more people going to come into your store beyond your target market. So you can't prioritize everyone, but you can make everyone feel welcome. And that's that's part of inclusion, welcoming everyone into your store. You don't know who's going to switch and be your consumer. And so for us, there's there's many aspects of the retail store that need to be more, we need to be more critical about them. Yeah. So we do a lot about accessibility and there's some strange laws in place that seem to be inclusive, you know, on the outset. But when you actually kind of dive into them, accessibility does not necessarily mean inclusive. And so the one that we we talk a lot, a lot about is this kind of law written, I don't know what it's like in Australia, but here here in the UK and in Canada, where we, we, we implemented this strategy, where... Um, people in wheelchairs needed to um, have a specific spot in store that deals with their with with the um, issues that they have. And so for us, that doesn't make people in a wheelchair feel part of the community. It actually holds them up as different and yes. it doesn't celebrate the fact. It, and this is what we need to do. And so we created a, a round table in that instance so that everyone could use it. And so no one felt, you know, that they were, they were left out or their, their, their differences were highlighted. It was all integrated mm-hmm. in. And so for me, a really, really key point is to question sometimes the accessibility nature of what, what what we do, right? It doesn't always align to what inclusive is or inclusivity is. And I think it's important to note, it's it's not just about physical differences. There's a lot more differences. There's neurodiversity, which is a huge area yes. here in, in the UK. And we see brands doing really simple things. So Morrison's here, they have a thing called the quiet hour, where basically they turn the lights down, they turn the music off they turn the the sound of the tills and when you start to think in this way you start to understand that a lot of shopping environments Mm -hmm. are not very conducive to to people with a with with neurodiversity issues these small little steps and being aware of people's differences lifting the store up to 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 deal with them is a real positive uh, approach right and so Retailers need to think about every aspect of their store, all the touch points across the store. One of the areas that we we really focus on and think is a huge win is about your staff. And so if you want to be inclusive, the best way to do that is to have a variety of staff members members, which represent your customers, mm. right? And so whether they're, you know, the one thing we, we don't see a lot about is older people in store, right? Yep. There's a certain kind of age where, where people don't don't appear in those retail environments. And point. so as an older demographic, I don't see myself there anymore. Even now, I don't see myself in there. People are dealing with are, are young and, and, and vibrant and enthusiastic, but sometimes, you know, I need to feel more welcomed in that. They, they put me off. And so having a variety of staff which represent your community or your consumers is a really easy way to, to do that. These small little steps can can start to welcome as many people as you as you can into the environment. And we use that term a lot. And so because because diversity and inclusion are quite quite heavy words sometimes. And we talk about just 
the simplicity of welcoming people, making them feel part of something, yes. right? part of the community. Simple steps can be can be made to do that. And a place for belonging, I guess. And I think this is the interesting thing because often I get Absolutely. asked, and critics might say that physical retail stores are becoming more irrelevant with the surge of uh, online and many businesses have downsized their physical retail footprints. How do you think the role, given the conversation we're having, uh, has the role of the physical store changed over the years and what role do you see them playing in the future? Well, it's interesting and, and definitely the, the recent pandemic has had an impact on customers' habits and their behaviors of, of purchasing. And I think that's, that kind of impacts the kind of um, how we deliver our stores. And so they no longer need to be so transactional because I can, I can do those transactions online. I see the, the role of the store really focusing on how to, as a channel to build trust and loyalty. And so um, whether those are events and community spaces, there's a real opportunity there to, to, to switch the purpose away from transactions and focus on loyalty and trust. In addition to that, or part of that, is really thinking about your spaces and your retail footprint as multi-use spaces. They no longer can do just one thing. And so whether it's a distribution center on one side and a cafe on another, having a store do multiple things to facilitate your whole operation is kind of a hub in some ways, um, whether it's a, a fulfillment center on one side, a training, you know, a training center yes. upstairs. We see a lot of retailers, you know, rent these buildings and they don't know what to do with the second and third floors. Mm-hmm. And so you can actually have, especially with localized working, right? Why have a headquarters? Just turn the upstairs of these buildings into training centers yes. and offices that and again, think about that where those people don't need to travel into their headquarters. They can go to their local store and hold meetings, really build up from there. And so for us, this kind of multi-use, truly integrating a retail space into the business as a kind of holistic approach is is really where I, I think retail will go. I mean, that's a pretty, you know, pretty overarching overview of what what where this this can go. But I really think that that's the sort of, you know, we're going to repurpose the 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 store to be a multi-use for the business, yes. not just not just a retail place. Amazing, Ian. Look, I've so enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. Congratulations on all the work you're doing in consulting and advising retails, retailers at Quinnan. And thanks for chatting and all the very best for the future. It's a real pleasure, Paul. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me for some retail therapy. With special thanks to our season partner, AWS, who can assist retailers navigating through their own sustainability journey with a wealth of practical resources. For more information, check out the show notes. Make sure you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. We can be found wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. For more information about the work we do at the ARA, head to our website, retail.org.au. Follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, wherever you love to connect. All of the links can be found in the show notes.